0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Hey, clones, welcome to the Daily Jungle. And what a day it was! We hit everything today, including Manu Ginobili, Matt Harvey, the Shark Humper, and Smack Off Season. Really heating up. We also had three excellent interviews. Arizona Cardinals second rounder, Buddha Baker, Falcons' new DB, DeMonte Casey, and Clemson wide receiver, national champion, and former walk-on turn legend, Hunter Renfro. All of that and more. So, Alvy, do what you do best and roll it. And watching that 39-year-old turn back the hands of time was absolutely incredible. Let's face it, if we're going to be real about this, all postseason, it has looked pretty much like the end for Manu. Down to about 7.5 points a game, shooting below 40% in the regular season. The gas tank sitting on E. He and his dad bod looked better suited for a pickup game at the Y than an NBA playoff matchup against one of the best offensive attacks in the NBA. However, old man Manu, has still got a few tricks up his sleeve. And for one night... He played the hits like only he can. When Kawhi Leonard went down, he comes in. Ginobili, 12 points, 7 boards, 5 dimes, no turnovers, and one absolutely legendary block of James Harden from behind To seal the 110-107 OT victory.
1: Here's the tip. Controlled by the Rockets. Anderson's got it left wing. Played by Ginobili. Anderson guarded tightly by Manu. Out to Harden. He's double teamed. Harden tries to work free for a shot. Swatted by Ginobili. There's the buzzer. This ball game is over.
0: Manu Ginobili snuffs a shot by James Harden. And the Spurs win game five in dramatic fashion. Thanks to Spurs Radio. Honestly, that was beautiful. I've got no dog in the fight, but that was beautiful. That was an amazing thing to see. That was his best swat since he knocked that bat into the 10th row back in the day. I mean, that will always be his finest moment as an nba when he took out that bat. But this one's pretty close. This one's pretty close. Score one for the legend. A guy who had not blocked a postseason shot from distance in five years goes and gets one against the hardest guy in the NBA to swat. Manu hadn't even blocked a three-point attempt since January of 2016. But with the clock ticking to zero, he elevates, he avoids fouling a guy who draws whistles better than anybody else in the association, and he gets his fourth career block of a last-minute game-tire or go-ahead attempt. The other's coming against scrubs named Kobe, Ray Allen, and Kevin Love. And with the Spurs who looked as if they had been pushed to the brink, missing their MVP, their Hall of Fame point guard, and needing to find some magic somewhere, Manu takes control. He sends San Antonio out a winner. And that was only after... Only after nearly bringing that entire barn right to the ground when he elevated and he flushed one.
1: Harden straightaway, long three is off the rim. though. No good. Rebound Ginobili. It's a five on four. Simmons to Ginobili. Drives it inside.
0: Slam! Dunk. Manu Ginobili! Manu, that is why you do the voodoo that you do so well. I'll tell you what that is. That's some serious grandpa juice as Patty Mills glossed it. A wrong foot... Right-handed dunk, as Danny Green called it, and on a night when the Spurs badly needed it, 32 minutes for a guy who had not broken the teens in the postseason—a performance that Pop himself knows might be one of the last great ones that he gets from his aging star.
2: Manu, you know, reached back and gave us one of his uh, Manu performances from from past years. He was a stud. You know, we actually went to him with Kawhi off the court. You know, we went to him to generate some offense and to make some things happen.
0: He was a stud. And he did generate some offense and he did make some things happen on both ends of the floor. Now, let's forget for a minute what that means going forward. Forget for a minute that Kawhi's injury means or what it might mean for the Spurs in Game 6 or Game 7 or next round if they get there against Golden State. Let's just all appreciate what we just saw. Let's all appreciate a 39-year-old. With the gaslight on and his exit right there on the horizon, revving it up one last time to rip a win that the Spurs had to have. And hitting the Rockets with some serious grandpa juice. Emptying the tank to help the Spurs push the Rockets to the brink. Fifteen seasons in, a couple of months from his 40th birthday, Manu turns back the clock, stuffs the beard at the buzzer, steals an overtime win for popping the Spurs. And I got to be straight, I really did not think that that guy had that kind of game in him. I'm not sure his teammates knew that that guy had that kind of game in him, but he proved all of us wrong. I don't know if he can do it again, but I do know that I didn't think that he could do it in the first place. Four rings in a 15-year NBA career and one of his finest moments ever occurring at age 39. Mad, mad respect. Manu, mad respect. Thanks a lot for having me back and... Hi to everybody listening. We are joined now by Buddha Baker. So you've had a little bit of time since the NFL draft. First things first, how does it feel to know that you're now an NFL player, and is it what you thought it would be? I
3: mean, it feels great. But then
4: again, I'm I'm just real excited to you know get to work.
0: Let's talk about how this all went down. The Cardinals trade up to get you with the number thirty six pick. I know GM Steve Kahn was on the phone with you. He talked you through the entire process as that trade went down and then the pick became official. What was that whole process and then what was that phone call like for you?
4: Oh yeah, the phone call, you know, was crazy. Um he said this is Steve Kahn from the Arizona Cardinals. Um and I saw that the Arizona Cardinals were at the forty fifth pick. So in my head I'm thinking, Oh, like I'm it was uh, about the thirty fifth pick. I didn't know if I was gonna last that long and then he was saying Um, we're going to trade up to get you. So I was just very nervous, very nervous until I saw it on the TV that finally the Arizona Cardinals traded up. So once I saw that, then I felt relieved and I was really excited.
0: Buda Baker joining us. So you're excited, of course, because you get picked and then you realize what you're getting into. As an example, the head coach, Bruce Arians, gets on the phone. He says, quote, I'm doing great now that we got you. We got the most dynamic secondary in the NFL right now, end quote. So what's it mean to hear your new head coach talk about you like that?
4: Oh, I mean, it's very exciting. Um, hearing that was very exciting as well. I uh, Watch you know, Arizona defense, and they do have a lot of versatility. You know, they you have a safety, uh, you know, switch playing linebacker Tyron, all those guys, and uh, just me um, hearing that from him just got me really excited as well because I that was one of my pitching was I'm versatile. Um, so hearing that was, was great.
0: You know, in terms of that versatility and you mentioned Tyron, your game has been compared to Tyron Matthews game quite a bit in terms of that versatility and the variety of things that you can do on the field. So what's your reaction when you hear that and then how much are you looking forward to playing alongside him?
4: My reaction is uh, you know, I'm very excited, but then again Tyron's his own player and I'm my own player. So uh I, I still feel like we're we're different in some some sorts, but um it's just gonna be very exciting learning from, you know, a guy like that, a guy who's, you know, my my stature, um, you know, do things that I've done on on, on film as well. So, um, the I'm just going to be very excited to learn from him.
0: Buddha Baker joins us. Now, speaking of Tyron, he's an LSU guy. Patrick Peterson's an LSU guy. And that program has the nickname of DBU for all the defensive backs that they produce. Now, that said, your Washington teammates and fellow DBs, Kevin King, went with the 33rd pick and Sidney Jones goes with the 43rd pick. So is Washington starting to challenge LSU as DBU?
4: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we're trying to. um, You know, each year we always talk about how we're trying to be, you know, the best DVs in college football. So um, it's, it's, it's coming up. It's up and coming. You know, uh, LSU has been, you know, they've created great DVs for a long time. So uh, Washington, we're, we're just trying to. So um, we're taking steps, and hopefully we'll, we'll really be that new DBU.
0: We're talking to Buddha Baker now. You had an amazing career at Washington, but you know how the draft evaluation process goes, right? Teams and scouts analyze you and your game, and they try to find flaws. And one of the criticisms that came up about you is that you don't necessarily have an ideal size. I know that's something you've heard for a long, long time. What's your reaction when you hear that? How do you respond?
4: Yeah, for me, it's just I just say watch the film. You know, um, I always feel like film will set you free. Um, people can have all these opinions about you, but You know, film is facts, and, um, you know, seeing me playing safety, seeing me do all the things that, you know, a 5'11", 6-foot safety uh, does um, should make that size, you know, con go away. So I just say watch the film.
0: you mentioned at the very top of the interview that you weren't sure that you'd still be around when the 35th pick was made. So when you're going through the draft – or even now that it's over, did you take note of the other safeties who went before you, and does that motivate you, or do you feel like you ended up in the right spots, you really don't care who went before you?
4: Yeah. I mean, for me, everything motivates me. It's, it's not just about the safeties. It's just about, you know, the the whole overall players as a whole. So, um, you know, thinking that I was the 36th best, um, you know, person in the draft is always going to motivate me. I'm always going to have a chip on my shoulder, um but for me as well I'm also very that's because I feel like um this organization is a is a great organization that I came into. So I'm very excited uh to show my skill set and all that type of stuff for this organization. Clones,
0: can you give me one minute so I can talk to you about Ferguson? Ferguson is the nation's largest distributor of plumbing products, but their playbook goes deeper than plumbing. Pro contractors know to depend on Ferguson for the best in waterworks, HVAC, and facilities maintenance products in the game. Ferguson has over 20,000 knowledgeable associates always working for you. Combine that with Ferguson's 1,400 locations and 24-7 online ordering, and you will always have the home team advantage. See why the pros pick Ferguson at ferguson.com today. That's Ferguson. Now it's back to the Daily Jungle. Buddha, talk to me for a minute about that chip. I mean, I've done this a long, long time, and I can't say how many thousands of guys will say, I've got a chip on my shoulder. Talk about exactly what that means and what that translates into. When you got a chip on your shoulder and it's always there, I mean, what's it mean? Does that roll you out of bed a little bit earlier? Do you stay a little bit later? What does that chip do for you exactly? Yeah.
4: I mean, that chip's just always going to make me... you know want to win i'm always i've always been a competitor i've always wanted to win ever since i was little you know having the old older siblings and all that type of stuff um they shape you up a lot um so having that chip on my shoulders um i'm always just going to be ready i'm always going to you know be in the film room getting that extra work or uh you know when it's time to run gags just be first and all that type of stuff and uh also my family living situation always that puts me up Chips uh, on my shoulder as well, um, just my mother, how she's sick and all that type of stuff, and I'm um, just trying to, you know, show my skill set throughout her. So, yeah.
0: When you mention your mother, your mother Michelle is a cancer survivor. She's also battling Crohn's disease and a number of other conditions. What have you learned from her in terms of mental toughness and refusing to ever give in?
4: Yeah, I mean, from her, I'm just. She's the strongest woman, strongest person I've ever had in my life, met in my life. Um, So for her, it's just, she she battles, you know, she goes to the hospital every single day. She um, takes all these, you know, certain types of pills. Uh, One pill might not coincide with the other pill, so it might make her even more sick. Um, Just all that stuff like that. So for her to just never give up, helps me a lot. Uh, Never giving up in football, you know, when things are hard, Just think about her because I feel like, you know, I'd rather be playing football than, you know, doing the things that she has to do every single day. So that just, uh, you know, puts a chip on my shoulder as well and what wakes me up every morning.
0: New York Mets pitcher Matt Harvey. He does exactly what he had to do. Get in front of his teammates and apologize to them first. Then get up in front of the media and apologize for going bonehead and not showing up to work this past weekend.
2: I'm extremely embarrassed by my actions. Um... I apologize to my teammates, to the Mets organization, to the Will Ponds, you know, all the way down to the Mets fans for doing what I did. And and um, yes, I was out on Friday night uh, past curfew. I did play golf um, Saturday morning, and I put myself in a bad place to be ready for showing up for a ball for a ball game that is my responsibility. I take full blame for that and I've apologized to my teammates, I've apologized to the coaches and I'm doing everything in my power so that that never happens again and um, like I've said I'm uh, extremely embarrassed for my actions and I'm working forward to getting things back on track and, and doing everything I can to help this team win and help this organization moving forward and And uh, they all have my word on that one.
0: Sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good. Give him that. It sounds pretty good. And you know why it sounds pretty good? He's done it before. He has reps. He has practice. It's not the first time. It sounds pretty good, and it sounds exactly like it did back in 2015 when he issued or when he missed a mandatory workout during the 2015 NLDS. And remember what he said back then. He promised it would not happen again, just like he did there. But it did happen again. So why should anybody believe or trust him now? Especially since those are the only two incidents that we know about. Given the way the Mets coddle this guy, it stands to reason there were probably other instances as well. The fact that they only, or they actually suspended him with the rotation already in tatters, Instead of just covering for this guy the way they have in the past, it tells you how sick they are of him and his act. I mean, the guy really doesn't get it. He just doesn't get it. This is not a rookie who just showed up in New York and got all caught up. He's 28. He's supposed to be a front of the rotation guy. He's been there several years. He knows what's expected of him, or at least he should. This dude just does not care enough or work hard enough to be that front-of-the-rotation guy, to be a leader. What he needs to do is look to Clayton Kershaw, not for his stuff, because Harvey will never have that ever again, but for Kershaw's approach, for the work that Kershaw does in the four days between his starts, for how he prepares himself mentally and physically every fifth day when he does take the ball, for the way he's made baseball his top priority, for the way he leads from the front, and puts the entire clubhouse and that organization on his back. Harvey has none of that. He did it for maybe a minute or two, but he hasn't in a long, long time. And once you lose that, and you lose the respect of your teammates, it's even tougher to get back, especially when you're not nearly the pitcher that you used to be. This dude is going to have a long way back. And one apology, one that we've already heard in the past from him, is not going to change any of this. He's not sorry for what he did. His decision to file that grievance proves that. How sorry can he be? He filed a grievance. He's not sorry for what he did. He's sorry for the situation he finds himself in right now. This dude needs to dry out, stay out of the clubs, do the hard work in the four days between those starts, and take the ball on the fifth day. He has to prove that he can grind and that he gives a damn and that he can still win. And then maybe, maybe his teammates and the fans will trust him once again. But respect and trust are going to come, are not going to come with some apology that he made with a gun to his head. Doughy, lazy, and ill-prepared is a terrible way to go through life. Baseball needs to be his top priority, and clearly it hasn't. And even worse than missing work, because he was out partying, had a migraine, is that report that he was out partying because he was in a funk overseeing photos of his ex Adriana Lima out on town with Patriots wide receiver Julian Edelman. According to page six, quote, this is from page six, the dark night became an emotional wreck on May 2nd after paparazzi photos came out showing Adriana Lima Stepping from a limo and heading into Rihanna's Met Gala after party with her former boyfriend, NFL star Julian Edelman. And to add insult to injury, Lima unfollowed Harvey on Instagram after the event. Hashtag, or I should say end a quote. <laughs> it's incredible. So this guy apparently became an emotional wreck, at least according to Page Six. And that's why he was out partying, allegedly. Given who this guy is and his lack of grind, would it really surprise anybody if it were true? No. You know what would be surprising? If he was moping around because he couldn't locate his fastball or because he was relying too much on a slider or the reason he was up until 4 o'clock in the morning was because he was trying to get another workout in on the treadmill or breaking down some film. That would be surprising. The fact that this supermodel who was probably never really into him in the first place, had moved on and wrecked his dome, allegedly, that would not be surprising. So let that be a lesson to all the aspiring Derek Jeters out there. The captain made it look easy. But that doesn't mean that it is. Know what you're getting into. And if it's a 35-year-old supermodel who has run through a list of athletes and celebs that rival any hound out there, know that you're more likely to be the one who gets the gift basket, the pat on the backside, and the NDA to sign as the elevator awaits with the door open. Because there are some guys who are cut out to be supermodel guys, and there are some who are not, even if they get to hang around one for a little while. And while I'm not sure if Harvey's ever going to be the pitcher he was, when he arrived throwing gas in Gotham, It seems pretty clear he's not cut out for the Victoria's Secret model who just chewed him up and spit him out. Not if he's in a total funk and had to go out on a bender to forget about it. Hey, Matty, shake it off. Shake it off and stop looking at page six. It's only going to bum you out and then you'll be looking once again to numb the pain with another bender and a tea time that's not only going to cost you your gig with the Mets but maybe your career altogether stop looking at page six and be glad that it was only an unfollow and not a block. DeMonte Casey is my guest. Alright, so you said going into the draft that it was the most nervous you've ever been before something that you've been working for because you spent your entire life working towards that moment. So for somebody who's never been through it, which is all of us, what was the experience like
5: and how would you describe those nerves? Um, I would say (laughs) I mean, the the first time I flew out there for the combine, it was just nervousness, but when I set my foot on that field, it was just like a dream come true. It was like, you watch this as you grow up. So just being there was a blessing.
0: Devontae Casey joining us. So the Falcons call you when the fifth round comes around, and you know you're going to go in the fifth round. I'm sure that had to ease your mind or your nerves a little bit. What was it like when their turn finally came and they called your name?
5: Oh, man, when I saw the Atlanta-Georgia area code, <laughs> it was just like, oh, my God, I'm going to Atlanta. Then picked up the phone. Talk to the GM and the owner. So, you know, I just start crying.
0: That's awesome. I mean, the pick itself was announced by Falcons DB Brian Poole, and he welcomed you to the brotherhood. Now, I've had a number of members of that Falcons secondary on this show over the last year. It's a really tight group. What's it mean to you to be a part of that brotherhood now?
5: Oh, it's a, it's, a, I mean, it's a big part, man. It's a blessing to be a part of the brotherhood now. You know, I'm going to go out there, work my butt off, and, you know, compete with the best and be part of them. And try to go back to the Super Bowl.
0: Alright, so I'm glad you brought that up. I was gonna say you're gonna join a young aggressive defense that's got a lot of playmakers that came as close as you can to winning a Super Bowl. You could have gone to any team in the NFL, so what's it like to go to a team that can compete for a ring immediately?
5: Um just Atlanta period, just this is beautiful out there, you know, just to get picked up by the Atlanta Falcons that just went to the Super Bowl was a blessing. So it's like, you know, now I gotta really work my butt off, really, really, really work my butt off, you know.
0: DeMonte Casey joining us. All right, now you had given some consideration to leaving for the NFL a year ago, but you decided ultimately to come back to San Diego State for another year. What was it that made you return to school? And then how different are you as a player right now as a result of that extra
5: year? Um, What made me come back to school is like, you know, I I was debating. And that's one thing I don't want to do is debate. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to come back to school. I'll talk to my waylifter coach, Coach Hall. We talked for like two hours, and I was like, you know what? I'm coming back to get my degree. It didn't worry about the NFL because it's always life after the NFL.
0: You know, I made the point that you have got the school record for interceptions, but you've made the point that your best attribute isn't your ability to come down with the ball, rather it's your tackling. Now, some DBs don't really like to put their nose in there. They don't really want to tackle. Why is it that you like to do that so much, and why is that such an important part of your game?
5: Oh, man. (laughs) Growing up, you know, my dad coming to the games watching it, And he used to just always tell us, like, if I'm going to pay my money for y'all to play football, don't be going out there being scary. He used to watch us doing hitting drills. So, it was like, I have to go hard and tackling. And that's why I always had that mentality in my head, you know, growing up, seeing that.
0: It's so funny, man. Dads are like that. Like my boys, they don't play football. They play baseball. But I tell my kids, man, if you're not going to swing the bat, we're not driving all the way out here on Saturday morning to see you play ball, son. Swing the bat. So I see – I know what your dad's talking about, sort of. Now, when you're going through the process, you said, quote, I actually learned a lot when I went to these pro days with other teams with the type of drills that they do and what they look for. It's going to help me in the long run. What was the evaluation process or experience like for you?
5: Um, Going there and doing these type of drills with the other coaches is like, you know, it's all about can you pay attention and can you listen. So it's like don't try to go so hard, but you know, get the technique right and see if you paying attention to what they just said. So it was just like you know, a blessing is you know hear from my other coach what to do and how I'm doing it and getting feedback from it.
0: Demonte Casey joining us. I would imagine also that when you go there and you talk to the NFL people and you talk to scouts, they're going to say to you, where do you think you need to improve? And it's always kind of tricky. Like guys might not own it or cop to it in terms of what they think they have to get better at. So when they ask you that question, where do you need to improve, how did you respond to it?
5: i was responding to tell the truth. You know, everybody needs to prove on something. You're not perfect in the world. But I tell them, like, you know, I need to prove on my, uh, my eye discipline. Because I played a lot of off-coverage and, you know, my eyes are getting, you know, the wrong place sometimes. And that could put me in a bad position.
0: All right, so it's a really honest answer, actually. So you want to improve your eye discipline. Yeah. From a technical standpoint, how do you go about working on eye discipline?
5: Oh, man, going down there to the press. <laughs> press instead of playing off. You know, right. make it more easier. But you could, you can always work. I can always work on that, you know. Just to the wide receiver. Because if we get, uh, get a bad habit of, you know, reading three-step and looking back there too long. So... I
0: could work on that. Demonte Casey joining us. I would imagine they probably already thought that. They probably already knew that, and they probably appreciated you acknowledging that. So when you come into the league, there's a chance maybe that you play some special teams, but you've got some experience at that. Back in high school in San Bernardino, you were a long snapper. Now, I'm not sure I've ever seen yeah. a long snapper <laughs> with your kind of speed. What was that like?
6: Uh, it was
5: it was fun because, you know, in high school, they don't get to line up over the uh, center. So every time I used to snap, I just just run down there, you know, full speed, and make the tackle every play. But I started three years at long snapping, and three years at field goal snapping. So it was just, it was kind of fun doing that. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm not saying that thing. I'm
0: not saying that long snappers don't have athleticism or speed, but I've never seen one like you. But then again, you're right. If they're not going to line up over center and you get a free run down the field. That probably is pretty cool. Now, your teammate at San Diego State, Dono Pumphrey, went to Philadelphia in the fourth round. He is the all-time leading rusher in FBS history. Some teams seem to be concerned about his size and how his game might translate to the NFL. You've been around him. You've watched him work for a number of years. What would you tell people who question whether or not his game translates to the NFL? I
5: don't think they need to question that because he plays much bigger than what his size is, and he's a hard-working player, very fast, and he will try to run you over, so I don't, I don't believe in that little small little thing they got going on with him, but he's a great player and, and not, a great friend like that.
0: You know, it's cool for you to pick him up like that. And not only that, but hey, look, these guys do what they do, but he's not big enough. He's not this. He's not that. How about that rap too that, yeah, his hands don't measure big enough?
5: Yeah, I don't I don't, I don't, don't know what they mean about the hands and stuff. So I don't, honestly, not a critic, so I don't know.
0: <laughs> Shark Gate, 2017. It's not going away anytime soon. At least not until we figure out Who is the guy in that picture naked on that shark? Might be a while before we figure it out because no one in their right mind is going to openly admit to knowing that shark in a biblical sense, right? Oh yeah, that, that guy was me. Who's going to do that? The folks at Deadspin, however, are staying hot on the case and they followed up on a lead, a lead that it could potentially be the CEO of Jimmy John's, Jimmy John himself, who apparently is an avid hunter, a fisherman and an outdoorsman. And he does look like the guy in that photo. But a spokesman for the company said it's absolutely not him. Jimmy Johns, freaky fast, but not freaky with fish. Hey, 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 oh. hey oh. Scratch him off the list, which is bad news for Florida head coach Jim McElwain, because now all eyes turn back to him again. Even after Florida had dropped that rather tepid denial quote, He's told us it's not him. Not, it's absolutely, positively not him. Just, he's told us it's not him. They're going to have to do better than that to get folks off of McElwain. And then when he had that chance, when McElwain had that chance himself, when he had the chance to get people to look the other way, to get them off of him, he had to sit down with the Orlando Sentinel. McElwain was asked point blank. He was asked point blank if it was him who went Netflix and Gill. Here's how he responded.
7: You've become part of this big yeah. viral photo. Sure. I mean, w- w- what's your feeling on this situation? Well, first and foremost, I don't know who it is, but it isn't me. I mean, it's what, what you're just feeling in general. Just that something like this I, could even get out there and become a story. Well, I guess that's for you guys
1: to answer. And you know, in the world we live, what is a story? I just know this: it
0: isn't me. I mean that's all he had? That was the response. It isn't me. It isn't me. Look, I'm not saying I'm not saying it is him. I'm not let's be very clear about that. I'm not saying it is him. I'm saying he yeah, had a chance to put this thing to rest once and for all. A chance to find that highest rooftop in the land and scream as loud as he possibly could. I'm not the guy who got naked and humped that dead shark. That's not me. And I'm going to sue anyone and everyone who even suggests it's me. Any website, any blog, any Twitter egg with a single follower. That's not how I roll. That's not how I get down. That's not my deal. I don't know who the hell that deviant is, but I want to make it crystal clear. It ain't me. Say it one more time and I will see you in court where my attorney and I will be ripping everything you own. But that's not what he did. And he didn't do himself any favors with that denial either. Again, I'm not saying it's him. I'm saying I would have been a hell of a lot more emphatic if it wasn't me. If it wasn't me. Like I said, I'd not only find the highest rooftop, I'd get naked on the highest rooftop and said, look at me. Look at him. It's not me. Hey, Coach, one more thing. If you're going to start an answer with first and foremost, there needs to be a second or a next or a furthermore or even an alibi. Like, if you weren't mounting sharks on the open seas, well, where were you? Because right now, your I did not have sexual relations with that shark defense is about as believable as Bill Clinton's.
5: I did not have
4: sexual relations with that woman.
0: Hey, look, if I'm this coach, I drop everything I'm doing. I put everything on pause. It is the offseason. Spring ball is over. I stop all recruiting trips. I become the lead detective on this hunt for the humper. Go Lawn Order SVU on this smiling, naked, plump shark pimp. And do not rest until you find this shark jeter. Because until then, everybody's going to assume it's you. I'm telling you, the last thing you want is for Shark Humpergate 2017 to bleed into the week of July 10th for SEC Media Days. Or it's going to become a thing all over again. Or even worse, the week of July 23rd. You know what that is. I know you know what that is, Jim. Discovery Channel's Shark Week. It is a sea world, Urgh! sick world that we're living in, Coach. Hunter Renfro, so when you look back on the yep. national championship game and your reception to win that game with just one second left, now that we're a little bit farther removed from it, what kind of thoughts and memories do you have about that moment?
7: Well, just an unbelievable experience, honestly. Just just going back and, and being able to do that for growing up in the state of uh, South Carolina, just doing it for the state of South Carolina, and growing up a Clemson fan, just what it meant to, uh, or meant to so many people. Around Clemson and really the State of South Carolina is unbelievable.
0: You know, you watch that final catch. You get open. You make the reception. You secure the ball. You take a big hit, and then you get up and you seem really pretty calm. I mean, were you
7: feeling calm in that moment? <laughs> See, my my first my first uh, reaction was all right. Let's look for yellow on the ground. <laughs> and then my second thought was all right. I'm a big fan of college football. I've watched Michigan where the band runs out on the field and all that. So I was like, let's get this. Let's get this kick. I didn't know it was going to be an onside kick. I think. uh Coach Scott tackled uh, uh Coach Sweeney on the sideline there and gave him concussion and Coach Sweeney decided to go with the onside kick. But uh just it was unbelievable.
0: Hunter Renfro joining us. Now that touchdown was the fourth that you've scored in two national championship games against the Crimson tide. Some guys shrink when the spotlight is bright. You seem to get even bigger. Is it something that you can consciously dial up in that moment or something you somehow tap into?
7: Um, I think I think my relationship with Christ and just knowing that the game is 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 not as big as, as life, and so there's not as much pressure um, in that moment. I know I'm doing it for my teammates, and I'm doing it for the guys around me. I'm doing it for my coaches, doing it for their families, and and just having fun. Um, growing up, um, being able to dream that moment, and and every kid um, runs around the backyard dreaming of catching a game-winning touchdown in a national championship. So um, just just being able to draw from that um, really helps me.
0: I think that's true, but not every kid grows up doing some of the things that you did. As an example, there's this amazing story, and the Greenville News recently did a short documentary about you, and in it, your mother, Suzanne, tells a story about how when you were a kid, you'd come in all sweaty and dirty from playing football, and she'd Mm -hmm. ask you if you were playing with the other kids, and you'd say, no, you were playing with the trees. You'd throw the ball (laughs) up in the air, you'd see how many trees it could ricochet off of before you caught the ball. What do you remember about doing that? How much fun was playing that game when you were a kid?
7: Yeah, she might have she might have, extra, she might have uh, um, um, talked that up a little bit more than it was, but no, I mean just remember being out in the front yard and and those trees are like defenders. You got to kind of um, ricochet off them and and uh, and and they don't call pass interference in the front yard, so you got to hit them hard and get up and make a catch. So um, just the good times and and that's really. Um, Coach Sweeney always talked about visualizing it. That's really where I started to visualize uh, playing college football and being able to walk on and, and play with my teammates.
0: Okay, now you walked on because you were a quarterback at Socastee High School and you had a really nice yes, career sir. and you had offers from schools like Wolford and App State, but instead you did decide to walk on at Clemson where there was no guarantee that you would ever see the field. Why did you decide to do it that way?
7: Um, I think through a lot of prayer, um, a lot of talking to my parents, Coach Sweeney's a very godly man, and, and that's why I've been successful, because his godly leadership. And um, I just knew he was the right fit for me, and it, I knew if I wanted to go somewhere, I wanted to play with the best, and I felt like Clemson offered that. And uh, I never wanted to look back 10 years from now and say, why didn't I? And all they can say, no. And so I just went for it, and, and it worked out.
0: Yeah, you wonder then. So is that in part that maybe you go there, maybe you have success, but in the back of your mind, would you always have been thinking, I wonder if I could have done that at Clemson?
7: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, and that's a large part of the reason why I went to Clemson because I didn't want to live with that if. And uh, and I'm glad how it all worked out. And I got two more years to go uh, expand on it.
0: You want know, I want to ask you about how you approach those next two years. But let me first ask you this. Deshaun Watson says from the very moment that you arrived and you started to play on the scout team, the defensive players kept saying, this guy's going to be something special. So what were the early days like on that scout team? And did you feel like you'd be able to break through and get on the field at some point and then do something special?
7: Yeah, um, it was tough. I think my redshirt freshman year, we had the number one defense in the nation. Coach Venable does a, does a great job over there. We had Stefan Anthony, Mackenzie Alexander, TJ Green. Um, some of the guys are playing in the NFL. And it was every single day we had to grind against them and, and get them ready for their, their next opponent. And so I knew if I could get a b- open against those guys, then we're going to play guys um, down the road that we're going to be not as talented or as talented as those guys and, and just be able to make plays against them. And just doing it in practice gave me confidence. And when you got a guy like Deshaun or whoever may be back there throwing at Clemson, um, just try to make them look good.
0: Last thought you played with Deshaun Watson, so you know his game as well as anybody. How do you think his game translates to the NFL? And what are his teammates in Houston going to learn about him that maybe they don't know already?
7: Well, Deshaun's a leader, and that's, that's up front, and a lot of people know that. But just how he cares for everybody in the facility, whether it's the janitor, whether it's the head coach, whether it's a little walk on like me. Um, just, just from day one, just his, his personality and his experiences that he's been through through his life, just, just give him the opportunity to be able to handle any situation he's put in. And I think he's going to translate great, not just because he's my quarterback, but because, I mean, he's very accurate. He gets the ball out of his hand fast. Um, and, and I'm excited to see what he can do with, with another Clemson receiver and DeAndre Hopkins up there.
0: We go to Salt Lake City. Zach. Zach, what's going on?
7: Yo, Rome. Congratulations
3: to the Warriors and their clean sweep on my jazz. I hope they were bored as hell with our nightlife. Being a Warriors fan is really cool, though. I hope all you new fans remember how bad your franchise used to suck. Like one playoff appearance in 17 years suck. And now for the real reason I'm calling, Romy, to shed light on these groupies to real callers on Twitter. We all know exactly who these nerds are, like Jacob and NorCal. You're the guy whose smack off chances are DOA. The day, the dude who waits on hold for hours and periscopes about it later. This is the guy who asks if he's on the list. Bro, the only list this guy makes is for groceries. Behind every one of these real collar groupies is a large DVD collection and a hell of amount of real collar retweets. So come at me real collar groupies. Just remember to do what you do. Tweet exactly what he said and she said. You chumps are always a day late and a $50 gift card short. And to the real color groupie in Costa Mesa, clowning on my jazz and asking where my laid back flow is at. Where am I at, bro? I'm in the mountains, breathing pure fresh air while you're sitting in traffic, sucking on each other's tailpipes. I'm out.
0: It's not going to get it done, Zach. That's not going to get it done. It's not bad, though. Let's go to Matt in L.A. Matt, good morning. What's up?
6: Vance, thanks for the vine. Hey, you might as well call that smack off 2017 the NHL playoffs, homeboy, because we all know Canada has no shot at that title either. Running out Skyler from the oil fields and it's Pat from Vancouver. Come on, man. That's tantamount to Toronto v. Cleveland or Salt Lake v. Golden State. A snowballs, chance in hell, Romy. But uh, Utah... Thankfully, since they're gone, maybe that countless hack Zach will shut his mouth now. Hey, Zach, take your non-rhyming raps and pee fowl yelping rendition of Def Lippard's hysteria on Twitter and shut your punk ass up, son. The jungle is for real men and real fans, not whining boy band man crushers. At least you didn't bring that officiating garbage into the jungle, bro. Oh, yeah, Ballsy, you billionaire bootlicker, show some sack. Back up the brakes truck and bring in some winners because this Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DJ squad needs to be dismantled and upgraded. Hey, or else we're going to send your sad sack minnow franchise back down to loser San Diego. That's all I got, Romy. War Cleveland and LeBron still not being MJ after they go back to back. Out.
0: Are you punk asses got that? Matt Nomaha. Good to have you, Matt. How are you?
1: Good. How are you,
0: Jim? Great.
1: First time, long time. You know, to me, you're not a pimp in the box no more. You're the wizard of the window.
0: I'll take
1: that. Great show gets me through my day every time. Before I get to G-Off or whatever his name is up in no land, Zach, come down out of your grandma's attic. Take off the gas mask. Lick a window. That's all I got to say. Geoff, Jeff, whatever, that you called in seven years, seven years, people get it, dude. You were in prison. You just didn't take a break. And your own landscaping company, homeboy, or whatever you want to call yourself, owning your own landscaping company isn't putting on an orange jumpsuit and cleaning up the interstate, in that crap hole town, and you're calling yourself a baller? No, I'm sorry that you had to shank your prison mate to get a five-minute phone card to call the Jim Rome show. And being a baller in the shower on Friday night is not a party. I'm done with you. And then being on hold with this girl from Podunk, Texas, that called about the Spurs? Newsflash. Trump's building a wall around Texas now because you're worried more about basketball than football. I'm sorry that you had to run through your trailer. That's
5: not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call.
0: I had to pull that guy before somebody else got eviscerated. Matt in Omaha. Eviscerating fools. Lick a window, chump. We got a couple of minutes left. What could happen, Jeff in SoCal? Hey, Jeff, how are you?
1: I'm good, Rome. Hey, I'm just waiting for that coach to drop. It depends on what your definition of is is as one of his defense. Hey, the reason I'm calling in Rome, man in Ginobili last night out on the court looking very spry. But here's my concern, Coach Pop on the sideline. Oh my God, Rome, did you see him last night? This guy looks like he's about ten minutes away from dying. He makes Edward James almost look like Jennifer Aniston in comparison. I mean I know there's oil in Texas, but San Antonio
6: people, please quit
5: drilling on top
6: face. I
5: don't like that call. Not a very good
0: If you have do me a favor, call back when the WNBA season tips off. As always, thank you very much for listening. I appreciate you. So do what you do. Hit subscribe, tell a friend, trust the podcast, and check back tomorrow for more Daily Jungle. See you then.
1: You're the wizard of the window. Lick a window. Grow up, get to the gym, and I'm out.
5: How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.